Good morning, church. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship our God together today.
just for service today. As we move on, would you step out from your seat and greet the people sitting around you? Well, good morning and welcome to the assembly. It's so good to see you all. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at the assembly. If you're new, we want to uh, connect with you. And here's how. In the seat back in front of you, there is a connection card. If you could, just fill that out. And here in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to drop that in the offering as it comes by. Well, let me tell you about some great things going on in our church. Water baptisms are next Sunday. And uh, they're happening during both services at 9 and our 1045 service. And so if that's you, please be sure to register online. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus and you haven't taken that next step in water baptism. Go ahead and register online. Smart money, smart kids. Learn how to teach your kids to be generous with money. That's on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. A new class we started, parents. Um, I encourage you, be there for that. It's there in your bulletin as you received it when you walked into service this morning. Also, another thing that we've got is Growth Track. Growth Track continues. You can jump in that at any time. Next Sunday at 9 a.m., they meet in room 232, 233. Be a part of that. Finally, as the ushers make their way forward, um, I want to celebrate something with you, something that was so, so good last week. Last Sunday, it was Generosity Sunday, and I have the text here with how much we raised. I know a lot of you guys are so interested in that, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to celebrate with me when I tell you how much we gave. Last Sunday, during Generosity Sunday, we gave $143,988 in our generosity offering. That is incredible. Wow. I'm so glad to be a part of a church that truly understands that it is better to give than to receive. Well, in today's message, I want to give a disclaimer before we move into it. Um, as we talk about fighting for hope, there are stories that involve hopelessness and emotional trauma. And I say that if you have any children in here this morning, uh, you, you might say, you know what, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and check them into the ministries that the church provides. You can go ahead and do that as we take our offering this morning. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you and what you've done in our lives, Jesus. And Jesus, we pray that you just bless this offering. We thank you, Jesus, for blessing the generosity and all the ways that that's used to bless people in our right here in the state, in the country, and also the nations. Father, you are so good, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. This is the family farm I grew up on. In 97, at age 17, I joined the Army as a bulldozer operator. Growing up on a farm and having access to farm equipment, you know, it was just a natural fit for, uh, for something for me to do for the military. Toward the end of that contract, the Twin Towers fell. Because of that, uh, I signed a re-enlistment contract so that, I could, so that I could do my part. In 2004, I was deployed to the Sunni Triangle. The rules of engagement were, were very confusing and you know, it was really difficult to find on your moral compass whether or not they were right or wrong. 
And regardless of how you feel about them now, they can't be undone. You know, whether it be getting attacked during a convoy or hearing rockets fly over your head and seeing them land in a tent full of uh, people's loved ones, but it's like someone slips a brick inside your rucksack. I can carry a brick, I can carry several bricks. One at a time you don't notice, but when you return home, you find yourself buried in rubble. Post-deployment, I started having panic attacks and I didn't understand what was happening. I was diagnosed with, of course, PTSD, agoraphobia, bipolarism, and anxiety disorder and I was prescribed a pharmaceutical cocktail. I lost my first job back in the real world because I was unable to build effective relationships with customers and co-workers. I lost my second job because I missed too many work days. On multiple occasions, I would get this voice inside my head that would tell me that the world would be better off if I wasn't in it. I was admitted into a psych ward. I think this was probably my low point. Previously, I was a non-commissioned officer, a sergeant in the U.S. Army serving in a theater of combat. I was responsible for my life and the lives of others. And I can't be trusted with shoelaces now. My life continued to crumble. Divorce followed by giving up custody of my daughter. My home went into foreclosure. I ended up living back on the family farm that I grew up on. My brother and his wife, who are both Iraq veterans, were gracious enough to take me in. This is the trailer we lived in at the time. Uh, they took me in and helped me um, try to come to terms with things that were happening. Things were not going well. Fortunately, I finally caught a break. And that break was when I met a man named Pete Wilhelm. Pete teaches Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he is also a former Marine and a combat veteran himself. And he brought me into his academy and took me under his wing. And he just continued to invest in me. The reason it was so effective was because while I was on the mat training, while we were grappling, I didn't have time to think about Iraq. Because if I did, I would get choked out. Pete introduced me to Chad Robichaw. Chad was in town speaking at the assembly. And he came to Triton Fight Center uh, he invited me out to California to experience the Fight Club and I was reluctant for a long time but um, by the grace of God I made it out there. These guys were giving me biblical scripture in terms that I could understand. They were speaking to me tactically. They were talking about identifying a common enemy and escaping, advancing position, and counterattacking. Four days into this program, I found myself doing something that I hadn't done in a decade, and that was praying. 
when I was in Iraq, I came to the conclusion that I couldn't be a man of God and a soldier serving in this area both at the same time. So I literally took my Bible and put it in the footlocker along with my connection with Christ. With this knowledge that they shared with me and this biblical blueprint of what manhood should look like, I was able to re-establish my connection with God. Since I've been back, I've, I've been improving my life and I'm trying to reach other veterans with this message. I think my wife really said it best. Since you came home from Mighty Oaks, you carry yourself differently and I'm really proud of you. What I'm most thankful for is a supportive wife and daughter. I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for the men at Mighty Oaks who hold me accountable and uh, I'm thankful for the tools that they've given me and most of all I'm thankful that God gives second chances. Hey, keep your hands together. I want you to meet personally. This is Reed and his wife, Amber. seated. Uh, it's amazing what Jesus has done for Reed and Amber. And, you know, it all started on one of the Sundays. Every year we bring Chad and Kathy. Chad is Special Forces Marines, eight deployments, and now serves our warriors to help them before they go in deployment. Helps all Special Forces in a resiliency uh, training before they go. And then he's doing a singular work as these warriors come home. And it is a distinct honor to have this hero and his wife. Would you welcome back to the assembly? This is Chad and Kathy Robichaud. You know, the first time that Chad came four years ago, uh, one of the great things is he goes to Triton Gym on Saturday and does an exhibition. And I'm just grateful that that door has opened. And Peter Wilhelm, who owns that gym, who's also Special Forces Marine, has just connected with Chad and made that happen. And he is an awesome guy. And he's here today. Peter, I want you to stand. This guy's been significant in all this happening. This is Peter Wilhelm. It's awesome to have you. And he's at Triton Gym right here in Broken Arrow. And with that, now, all veterans, all active military, would you please stand because we want to let you know our gratitude. All active military, all veterans, would you stand? Now, come on, assembly, make the greatest noise you can. These people are so deserving. I invite Chad and Kathy to be seated here with me. So, obviously, Reed's story is like so many others that have come through 
this, this in, intense training of what it means to be a man of God and how that addresses the deepest issues of our heart and life. But before we get there, take us back because you were once in that same place. And uh, again, it's just it's so great to have you guys back. You're, you're like family. You've been significant in the life of this church and this community. We honor you for that. But take us back to your journey. You know, watching the video, and today's the first time I've seen this video of Reed, and uh, it, it's just so crazy how similar our stories are and the stories of so many veterans that, that come home struggle. I, uh, I made that same choice that Reed said he made. Uh, you know, as a Christian, I, or I would have thought I was a Christian before uh, I went to Afghanistan. I chose to put that aside to be this warfighter because I thought the two couldn't coexist, and you know, how wrong could I be? I, uh, I think by putting God out of my life to do this job, I allowed my heart to be empty and just fill with you know, being driven, anger, hate, and, uh, and it took its toll. I, I ate tours. Uh, I started to have these uh, anxiety. I started to feel uh, these panic attacks coming on. I didn't recognize what it was. I just tried to push it down, and uh, eventually the wheels came flying off, and, uh, and I came home. I was diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I had no idea what PTSD was. I always joke that... Uh, when a doctor said I had PTSD, it sounded like something I contracted. But uh, I, uh, I, I, had, I was, that's how naive I was to it. I, but these panic attacks were overwhelming. And uh, I went from being this you know, guy who I thought I was on top of the world, doing the most important mission in the world, to feeling just actually scared. And I felt like I would die at any moment. And, uh, and, and that, that manifested first with anger towards my, my family. I would, uh, you know, the anger would be... You know, to the point to where my kids and my wife were scared to be in the same home as me. My house wasn't a home. It wasn't a safe place for my family. And, and so I thought I had needed to distance myself from them and isolate myself from them. And um, so it created a great division. I couldn't find anything to do uh, that because I didn't, I never wanted to dive into, like many veterans, uh, drink or take more. The pills that make me, the pills made me feel worse. And I felt out of control. So I, I needed something. And just like Reed, I ended up on those wrestling mats. Uh, but for me, I took something that could have been good for me because I believe martial arts is, is something that's really great, especially for people that are struggling, something, to, something extra to do. But I took it and I abused it. You, know, you can have a good medicine for something and you can abuse it. And that's what I did. I would spend 10, 12 hours a day on those mats. And it was extremely successful. So I was fighting professionally. I fought at the highest level and on you know, Showtime. and MT I was the main event on MTV and Bellator. And I was ranked uh, really, really high. I was 19 and 2 as a professional. And my school grew big. I had a 1,000 students. So on the surface, everything looked really like everything was okay. But that wasn't the case. I was still having panic attacks. I was still struggling uh, with depression. And my family was, was just falling apart. And eventually, it all came crashing down. Uh, Kathy and I, actually, we separated. Um, I ended up in relationships with other women. And we, uh, so we actually sold our home. We both signed contracts in two separate apartments, filled the divorce papers. And I thought that's what I wanted. But in that... that that time alone, I actually had time to reflect in this situation, and all that time, you know, I always would say, well, the way I grew up, my father was a Marine Vietnam veteran, he was physically abusive, so I blamed him, and then the Marine Corps, I complained about the Marine Corps, and then my wife, she never understood because she wasn't in Afghanistan, she doesn't know, so I blamed her. That time alone, I got to realize it was me. Wow. It was me, and, uh, and that should have been a good thing, but instead, of, it, was a, it was a bad thing because I said, this problem my wife and children are going through, I'm the problem. So I didn't want to kill myself to take myself, to take my pain away. I wanted to remove myself out of situation for their sake. And, uh, and you know, at this point of depression, I was, 
So, um, you know, I'd, I'd spend time in my closet with my pistol trying to contemplate how I was going to do it, who was going to find me, how, who was going to have to clean it up. And I was thinking with my, my children, uh, kept coming in my mind, and I heard this statistic that one in three children will take their life after a parent takes their life. And, uh, and I didn't want to leave that legacy for my kids, so I kept delaying. And, uh, but I was stuck in that moment of just uh, complete desperation and uh, loss. So it seems that people who get at that point, there's this voice on the inside that starts showing an option. And even you don't see it as a good option, but you end up seeing it as, as an only option and then even maybe a relief to other people. So what turns it all around? Well, Kathy, it was, uh, I mean, she's gave me this challenge, and it's, it's been one of the most incredible things. It's actually the genesis of our program is what she did. People give me credit for our program a lot, but I always point back to, to her and, uh, for, for what she did that day. She came to me, and uh, she asked me, and I don't think she asked me this question because she wanted to restore our marriage. I think she just really wanted to know. She's like, how could you do all these things, the success I had in MMA as a professional fighter, uh, being in Force Recon? We've been together since we were 17 and 18 years old. So she's seen the training. She's seen the workups. She's seen Afghanistan workups. She's like, how could you do all those things and find success in those things? When it comes to your family, you'll quit. And uh, that question just, it just rocked me because, you know, one, I don't like being wrong, and I was. And, and two, I don't like being a, called a quitter. And, uh, but, but I was, you know, I quit on the most important things in my life. I quit on my role as a husband, my role as a father. Um, I quit on my relationship with God. I quit on my own health. And, uh, and, and I, I, even my community, I had these thousand people, these, these young people in my school that looked up to me as a mentor and, and I was leading them the wrong way. And I was, you could be an influence on someone. Well, you're always going to be an influence on someone. The question is, which direction are you going to lead them? And I was leading them the wrong way. I completely failed. And, uh, that, the, the truth of that just convicted me, and I knew I had to do something different. I, uh, I always tell the guys that come to that program, if what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something different? And that was the point, that I was willing to try something different. But it wasn't a faith-based choice. I didn't decide, like, okay, I'm going to drop on my knees and give my life to God right here. What, what I decided to do was, with my intellect and hard work ethic, I'm going to put together a plan to restore my family and fix this mess that I created. So I actually did that. But in this plan, I realized the one thing I was missing, I was smart enough to know at that point, is that I didn't have anybody to hold me accountable to this. And uh, it was a sad point to inventory my life with all these thousand students, everyone that wanted to be in my corner when I fought on TV, but no one that would hold me accountable to being healthy, that being the husband, to being the father, being the person that you know, I needed to be. And uh, I had to go to Kathy and uh, say, hey, this church you're going to, can you find somebody to help me hold, hold me accountable to this? And she met, introduced me to this guy named Steve Toth. And Steve uh, looked at this plan I had, and he's pretty, he's pretty bold, which is what I needed at the time. And he said, yeah, this is going to fail. You're going to end up right back where you are. And the reason why is because it's, you don't have anything in this plan about re- reconciling your relationship with Christ. And uh, so I trusted him, and I allowed him to walk me through not only restoring my relationship with God, but to uh, go through this year-long biblical uh, mentorship. And it was, he mentored me into the biblical, through the blue, biblical blueprint of manhood. And at the other side of that, what I realized was, Simply calibrating or for the first time calibrating or maybe even recalibrating my life to the life that I was created to live, that was the solution. All these things that I tried, the pills, the counseling, the jiu-jitsu, which I love jiu-jitsu, but none of those things worked. But when I simply aligned my life with the life I was intended to live, this PTSD thing went away. The anger went away. The, the hate went away. The, 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 the um, depression went away. The thoughts of suicide went away. And I, and I regained control of my life. And I actually was able to step into the life that I was created to live. And, 
and it was been, it's been amazing since. Kathy, it's true that this, this story of transformation, uh, praise God, and, and you kept the kind of heart for this to be possible. So of the many things I could say, let me just ask this question. How did you forgive him? It was a struggle for me. Um, for so long, there was just so many things holding me back that I thought I had forgiven Chad for. And so now we're to a point that we're, we're separated and my kids are seeing the devastation that's happening. The anger and the bitterness was just taking root so deeply. And, and um, so for him to just come back home and say he's ready now to be a husband, I was not ready. And I had tried this forgiveness thing with him already and it was, it was not working. I kind of got to a point that I just figured maybe forgiveness was for the, the good church going girls that really spend their time with God all the time. It's not working for me. And, uh, but really what it was is um, I didn't really know how to put it to the cross. I didn't know how to bring it to the Lord every morning. And um, it was actually while Chad and I were separated that um, I began to pray for Chad. And I wasn't praying for Chad because I wanted my marriage restored. The hardest part was getting out of that marriage and I was finally out of it. But I really wanted to um, have my children not see uh, what I had saw as a young child with divorced parents. I didn't want them to see hate. And so I picked up the book called Power of a Praying Wife. And I thought, okay, I'll pray for Chad. And I picked it up and I started looking at the chapters and I found the perfect things to pray on him for. His temptation, his integrity. <laughs> Those are the ones I was picking out. And, uh, and I figured, you know what? The, the first prayer in there though was his wife. I thought, his wife, I'm not doing anything wrong, you know, <laughs> like to, of the actions Chad was doing in a worldly view, his actions were looking bad, worse than mine. But in God's eyes, my actions were just as bad. I wasn't being the wife that God had called me to be as his wife. I wasn't loving him through and respecting him through the uh, situations he had been going through. And so... Um, in that prayer uh, under his wife, I began to just engage in that. And after time, the Lord um, revealed to me um, how to love Chad. Um, I began asking, uh, God, show me how to love Chad the way you love Chad. And help me to uh, see Chad the way you see Chad. And help me to forgive Chad the way you forgave Chad. And so after time... God really started restoring that, everything I asked for, back into my heart and revealed and took the blinders off my eyes. And I was set free from the, the chains that the enemy had wrapped me up in, 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 so, in for so long for. And, uh, and thank God I've, I've, I've been set free from that bitterness and unforgiveness. Chad and Kathy just uh, released a book on fighting for your marriage, and I would highly recommend it. So helpful. Uh, now, let's bring the story forward. Uh, so many people are where Reed was, where you guys were, and you're now helping them. So tell us what that looks like. 
Well, one of the one of the stories I love to share with them is a, is a, a story back from Afghanistan in uh, 2005. It's a uh, I would call it getting off the X, and we we're uh, it's it's really just the kind of genesis of what we do in the in, in uh, Mighty Oaks. Because most of the guys, and, and by the way, you don't have to go to Iraq or Afghanistan to get benefit from this story, uh, but most of the people we see are stuck in this prolonged period of this dark place that they don't want to move forward off of. And uh, so that's back in, in, uh, in 2005, I've been in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I was with, the, with my teammate, and he was a, he's a Navy SEAL, and I'm a Force Recon Marine, and we were alone in this uh, vehicle, which is just a civilian vehicle. It's called a Toyota Prada, which is like a, a forerunner, so it's a regular vehicle, and we're not very armed. It's not an armed, uh, armored vehicle. We, I have a pistol. He has a pistol, and that's it. So we're not looking for any trouble. But behind us is a truck, and it's, uh, the truck that's behind us is a Hilux pickup truck. Now, if anybody's been to Afghanistan before, you know that's either Special Forces or the Taliban. It's like the official vehicle of the Taliban. Can I give you an idea of how many of them were in this truck? We always had a, a, a joke. How many Taliban can you fit in a Hilux pickup truck? The answer is one more. They're like piling this thing. They're hanging off the, the, the rearview mirrors and the windshield wipers. And this truck's full of these guys in the back. They look like they came out of the mountains. And in 2005 in Kabul, the Taliban didn't really go into Kabul unless there was to start trouble. They had been, U.S. forces that pretty much pushed them out. So I knew they were up to no good. Again, they had like AK-47s and rocket propelled grenade launchers. And uh, I was pretty sure they were following us. So I did what we call deviate your route. I went off my route, came back to the original spot. And sure enough, they were still behind us. So I knew we were in trouble. And I made a mistake. Instead of going outside the city where I get away from them, I thought I could lose them in the city. Now, if anybody's ever driven in a third world country before, you know the traffic there is much worse than Tulsa. And, uh, and the, I got to this point, I'm on Jalalabad Road going into the eastern side of the city, and I got to this circle called Masood Circle. And the traffic started congesting like really bad, and there was nowhere to go. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do. And the great thing about military training is when you don't know what to do, that's when your training really kicks in. And, and uh, the truck, I remember the truck pulled around in front of us and stopped. And uh, the guys started jumping out the back. And uh, I noticed they were jumping out the back, but I just I have this vivid memory of the guy stepping out the passenger door and looking right at me. And he's, and he's holding AK-47. He's just eyes with me. And I just uh, did what we trained to do. And I just hit the gas and aimed my vehicle towards theirs. My buddy, at first, he's like, no, no, no. And he realized what I was doing. He's like, go, go, go. And, and uh, I did a ramming technique. I just rammed the front of their vehicle. Boom. And the vehicle went spinning around. Little Taliban guys went flying out the back and everywhere. And, and all of a sudden, now I had a place to get out. And there was like a little 100-year-old policeman. And he's got a whistle. And he's like, beep, 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 trying to stop me. And so I pointed my vehicle towards him, and I just hit the gas, and he's, no, beep, beep, beep. He's waving me out to get out of there. And uh, we, we got out of there, and I don't know what those guys wanted, but I know if we would have stopped, we would have probably been killed or taken. We would have put up a heck of a fight, but it was, we were definitely out, outmanned and outnumbered. And uh, we uh, look back at that story, and, and what really happened there was what we caught, as we refer to in training as being stuck on the X, right? If you, if you stop in an ambush site, if you stop in a kill zone, you're either going to be killed or taken. And that's where we're, we're stuck on the X. And uh, because of my training, because of that moment, you know, I moved forward through that. But if you look forward, 2007, when I came home, was diagnosed with PTSD. I didn't choose to do that. I chose to stay on that X. I didn't want to admit anything was wrong with me. My pride wouldn't let me admit this PTSD thing or accept it. And I, and I chose to stay there for three years until I almost lost her and almost lost my family, almost lost everything, almost took my own life. And, uh, and so that's what we do with these guys is we challenge them to be able to get off the X and to be able to move forward. And we do it through the same process that, that Steve and Kathy and God did for me by challenging me and then giving me the biblical blueprint and tools to move forward. And that, that 
program that we do is that we have a gender-based program, so we have a men's program and a women's program, and we simply uh, present to them this biblical blueprint, and we have them contrast their life to it. And uh, the, they contrast their life to the life they were intended to live, and they come to their own conclusion that regardless of what happened to them, as bad as it may be, as bad as Iraq may have been, Afghanistan, losing a friend, a childhood, those circumstances may be terrible. Some of them may be heroic moments, but they don't really dictate the circumstance of your life. What it does is the choices you make every day. And no matter what happened, you don't lose the control of those choices. And, uh, and so we give them the ability to choose to move forward again. And, uh, and, and through that process, we actually have, beyond our six-day program, we have a six-month mentorship program that they can be connected to and weekly uh, alumni outposts around the country. So first, there's like a six-day intensive that they come to the ranch that's provided to you to do this training. So they're there for six days, and it just gets intense with their life and a lot of you know, going into their story and then you presenting this biblical uh, blueprint. So from the time you started that to now, how many warriors have you brought through the, the week-long intensives? We've had 808 graduates from our program. Some of them come from a some of them coming from the veteran community, but many come from the active duty because of the success. The, the Marine Corps, the Navy, uh, and, and uh, the hospitals, the Wounded Warrior Battalions, Warrior Transition Units, they send the guys on official military orders to us. And uh, so we get to get them to come to the program. Out of 808 graduates, now, guys, I don't know if I really um, made this clear. There's 23 suicides a day in our veterans, 23 a day. And uh, that's only 21 states reporting. So we don't know how many there really are. We know it's a serious problem. But out of those 808 graduates we've, graduates we've had, we've had zero suicides. And uh, it's something we're just so proud of. So, so like two years ago, Reed connects with you at Triton Gym. And then he comes through the week-long intensive. Then we see his story shared today. And he got off that X. You know, he's moved forward. And you've done that with now over 800 but you do reference that 23 a day, that's from 21 states reporting, uh, just decide that this final exit is their only option. And I know, because I've spent time with you guys, that, that's the burden of your life, and it drives you to help these men and these women. Especially with our waiting list. You know, just... what is your waiting list right now? We, we have, currently on our wait, we have nine commands that are sending people regularly. So on top of the active duty component, the, from the veteran side, we have 270 waiting. In this last quarter, we've lost four on our waiting list. Uh, one recent as two weeks ago, active duty uh, Marine who was coming to the December class, they, uh, was found dead in his barracks. So uh, it's, it's very real to us. It's a very, uh, something that, you know, obviously Kathy and I have committed our lives to it, but this is uh, not something that's uh, numbers. Uh, this is uh, people, this is families, um, and these are our warriors. These are the guys that are willing to, you know, give their lives for us. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't come to speak like this to bash the VA or the government or anything like that, but, you know, what they're doing isn't working. And so, uh, and I just got to speak in front of um, congressional legislation last, two, on uh, Thursday night, or, uh, what, Thursday? yeah, Thursday night. And, then, uh, and really, I said, you know, I wish programs like ours didn't exist, but if anybody is, has to do it, I'm glad it's us. I'm glad we get to do it, but um, it's, you know, it's a serious matter. You know, it's great to see Chad and Kathy's story, Reed and Amber's story, but there is another side. 
there are families left to process through uh, a family member that chooses that final exit. And it, it's rugged. And at times we, we don't like to talk about it. But 23 a day, probably everyone in this room has been directly affected by a friend or family member who heard that voice that said, you know, it would just be better for those around you if you made a final exit. And I just think it's important that, that we show that side, and I know you work with people like that as well. And so we're going to come to a moment not long from now, and we're going to talk about that X and what that might mean in your life. And maybe today is the day to, to move forward. We're fighting with and for you today. There is hope for you. But I want you to watch this story, and then we'll give you that, that opportunity. didn't really see a lot of it when we were dating. Um, it was right before we got married. He always had the thought process that if I knew who he was or what he had done, that I really couldn't love him. And no matter what I would say to reassure him, he always held on to that. And he would say often, you know, if you want out, if you want a divorce, then I will give you everything. You know, you don't deserve this. And he truly believed that he was you know, the cause of our life and, and the hardships that we had, and that if he wasn't in them, that my life would be better. March of 2013, Pete had back surgery. From that point forward, he was prescribed um, 220 oxy a month. In January 2014, he was in New York to help his dad. He checked himself into the VA uh, mental hospital out there and felt like he was going to hurt himself. I would talk to him in the mornings for just a few minutes and he would just call me just crying and really wouldn't be able to, to speak to me. And I didn't realize that when Pete came home, he seemed so much better. You know, he was going to get off Oxy. He was going to, you know, everything was just going to be better and he, and he seemed better. And I think at that time I had to believe it because I just didn't know what else to do. You know, we also struggled to have a baby for four years. And I remember we were, we'd gone through all the testing for IVF. And I remember telling him, in 12 weeks, because that's when all of that would be over, our life is going to be so much different. And what I didn't realize was that it was true. You know, 12 weeks later, our life was completely different. <laughs> I could tell over the past couple of weeks that he'd been taking something. And I, and I mean, he confessed that he was, but he was just different. And I remember that night being so angry with him. And he fell asleep on the couch and I was kind of happy because with me was the last place I wanted him to be. <laughs> and I remember him waking up so happy. <laughs> and stretching out his arms and asking me to come give him a hug. And I remember going to the couch and giving him just a half-hearted hug. I don't remember if I told him I loved him. I don't remember saying anything nice. When I got home, there was an unmarked car, although I didn't know it at the time, in front of my house. 
And when I pulled up and got out of the garage, there were two detectives standing there. And I remember just kind of listening to them and not knowing what's coming. And then they said, that Pete stood up at the back of a truck and said, tell my wife I love her and that I'm doing this for her. The Sunday before Veterans Day when Chad and Kathy Robichaud from Mighty Oaks were going to come, I wasn't going to go to church that Sunday. It was this, my first Sunday, first Sunday for Veterans, uh, Veterans Day, and it was just going to be too difficult. We always do something big for Veterans Day and I just couldn't handle it. Um, it was very raw for me at that moment. It was five months after Pete had passed. So I just had already planned on not going. My mom came down, we were gonna hang out for the weekend. When Kelly called me, you know, she invited me to church and said, you know, I feel like God is gonna do something and we wanna know, want you to know we are sensitive to your needs and we think about you, but I just feel led to call you. And so I decided to go on that Sunday and it was, it was extremely difficult. I cried through the entire service and when Chad was going through his testimony, it was at that point that I realized um, I wanted to tell the other side of it because Pete was one because he didn't have a physical ailment He wasn't missing a limb or you know that type of thing that he really felt that He should be able to deal with this that he should be marine enough or man enough or whatever it is to deal with it on his own and That just wasn't the case and because of that. I wanted to show What the other side looks like? What happens if you don't get help what happens and what your family looks like? After service, I, t I talked to Kathy Robichaud and told her that and said, I wished I could show what the other side looks like. And she said, we've been looking for someone who would come and tell your story. And she said, will you come to our December Fight Club? Looking back now, I realize just how pivotal that Sunday was. What I didn't realize was that how God was going to heal me in going how he was going to allow me to forgive Pete 
through speaking with these men, how he was going to allow me to see him better with speaking with these men and understanding him better. You know, he's placed me there to be a part of their lives and how for some of them, me being there was what changed it for them and how for me being there is what changed it for me. When Pete died, you know, I had believed without a shadow of a doubt that God was gonna heal his mind, that God was gonna heal his body, and that he was gonna have this amazing testimony. And I believed it with everything I had. So when he died, it shook me to the core. And I truly believe that, you know, God let me down, that in a sense, like he betrayed me, that I did what I was supposed to do. I prayed for my husband. I, you know, we went to church. We did everything we were supposed to do. And so I couldn't understand why God would allow this to happen. I had to learn who God was. And I remember in my grief group, them talking about, you know, you're in a basement and there's windows and you can see the sunshine and, and that's God and you know he's there. And then the windows get blackened out and that's kind of your grief or your tragedy. And it doesn't mean that the sun's still not out there, you just can't see it or feel it. And that really is what grief or tragedy does to you. It makes you feel that God isn't there. It wasn't until months later that I realized that God brought people into my life to take care of me. You know, my Sunday school class who would mow my lawn every single week. You know, the friends that would call me every Wednesday night after grief group and would check on me and would show up at my house with coffee when they knew I was having a bad day. I realized that God had placed those people in my life to take care of me and to show me who he was. And I had to learn that it devastated God and it broke his heart the day that Pete died and the choice that he made. And that, although I don't understand it and I will never understand it, in a sense, the testimony that I believe that Pete would always have, I'm living out now. You know, on my darkest days, on, you know, the days that I have no idea how I got through them, um, on my great days, on my okay days, that, you know, God never left my side. When I didn't feel Him, it doesn't mean that He wasn't there. You know, in doing this, it allowed me to connect with other people, to connect with other wives, to connect with veterans. In a sense, I'm doing what he did by bringing people in my life. I'm able to show them now that they're not alone. That's my purpose. And I think that's all of our purpose, is to be able to show hope to everyone around us and to show God's love to everyone around us. Perfect in
such a classic statement that sometimes you feel like you got to marine up or man up. There were there been times in my life as a pastor, I, I had to pastor up. Because there was a need in my heart. I was on that X. And we believe that there are many on the X today and you, you need to move forward. And your only move is surrender. It's just I don't understand this. I don't I can't sort this out. But I'll open my heart to God. A God of hope. And he'll meet you where you are. And you'll know that he's good. When circumstances would like to tell you that's not true, you're going to sense this in your soul that he's good and that you are loved by him. And a healing work can start. It starts in a moment and then there's a process. And we'll talk about the process right now is that moment just to experience it. So with your eyes closed, if you'd say, Ron, I do understand despair. I'm there right now and I need help. I need to find God. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And as I say, amen, they're going to begin to sing this again. Every single one of you, young and old, regardless of your circumstance, you're identified as that person who needs hope. I want you to stand and come. I want you to find the nearest aisle as we begin to sing this. And we are going to pray for you. And God's going to start a healing process, a process of change in your life. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be real. God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. And as big as that despair is in you, God is bigger. And he will absorb that pain, the guilt, the shame the remorse, the grief. He'll begin to absorb that in his love and in his hope. Jesus, do the work. Do the work now. Lord, to every heart, you know all the people who need to respond to this. And so we just trust you now. And we are thankful that you're going to help so many people today. In Jesus' name, come as they sing.
is a moment that is so special it's so powerful and I don't want anybody to miss it if you would like help and you would like hope just come right now because we're going to talk to Jesus about that hope anyone else just want to sing it a couple more times Susie and let people come just come that's it just keep coming I respect you so much for your honesty Jesus, thank you for the men and the women that are moving off of that X today. Thank you that you understand the details of each story represented by those who have come forward. Thank you for having the kind of power that can move in and be greater than the power of each struggle. To be greater than the worst chapter of each story represented here. I pray for the power of your love, the power of your grace, and the power of your healing to just bring ministry 
to each heart, to each mind, to the emotions represented by these stories, Lord, just come with restoration, peace, and let hope start rising where there has been hopelessness. Let hope start rising where there has been despair and futility. I come in the name of Jesus and stand against that voice that would like to say to these people or anyone in this room that any other option other than turning to you would be somehow beneficial. That Lord, if there's anyone here considering a final exit, that in the name of Jesus, you would bring clarity, that you would bring freedom, release their heart from the vex, from the grip of that, that voice. In the name of Jesus, we believe now that by the power of your grace, there, there is a new start. There is a fresh start. There is a transformation that is already happening. There is freedom that is occurring right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are a comforter. You are comforting each heart now. You are a counselor, so you will guide and lead with wisdom in how to build a new life and move into the future with health and even wholeness. You are a leader and a motivator. You will inspire. There will be a a purpose to live for. And so we just give you praise right now for the ministry of grace. It's like a flow of your love into our hearts right now. And we thank you. As Heather said in her story, sometimes our perspective of you is blinded by circumstance. It's like we know you're there, but we don't see you. It's like somewhere in our heart we know you're you're real, but circumstances are, are screaming that that's not true. And so what we're asking today is for you to reveal yourself again. Make yourself known, Lord. Let these men and women know through their experience with you right now that you are with them. They are not alone. And there is hope. Work in such a way where they will know they can start taking steps to a a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of perceiving you and others and life and the future. Come against depression in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I come against this deep discouragement in the name of Jesus. The pain of the past that has people like in a, an emotional prison. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. And we thank you now, Lord. We thank you. You, you removed that bondage, that despair. We thank you, Lord. It's a new day. It's a new season. We thank you, Lord. It's a turning point, just as you gave to Reed and Amber, to Heather, to Chad and Kathy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look up this way, and let me me talk to you for a minute. Each of you that came forward, so so proud of you. I, I admire your courage, and I want you to listen to this because there were key things that you heard. When Reed realized he was at that low moment, 
he had a moment where God connected him with another way of thinking, like an option. It was an option of hope by God's grace and power. He connected him with Peter and Peter's gym and then with Chad. And it opened him to a process. So there was a moment where like grace gripped his heart. But then it becomes a journey of discovering how awesome this grace and power is. You work, you walk in an unfolding restoration to the point where Reed can tell you his, his life has been put back together and he stands here in front of you today. Heather's story, you heard key things. She was sitting on this front row one year ago, five months from the day of Pete's death and it was raw and it was rugged, but she opened her heart. She was already in that five months discovering God's grace because and as I respect you so much, you just never turned your back and allowed the Lord to work with her. And, and one of the turning points you heard in Heather's story was she was connected with a grief care group that's very important. Two, part of her healing has been as she helped other people out of her pain. There comes a point where you start giving. Reed and Amber now help other people who, were, who are where they once were. And there is a work of Jesus in your life that happens as you give. Paul said, and Heather is a modern day example, Paul said, what almost destroyed me is working life in others. It's called being a wounded healer. So there are steps. We want to help you with those steps. We want to help you. We will get you to one of these week-long intensives. If you will go, we will get you. If you don't want to go by yourself, read. We'll get on the plane and sit right beside you. We will get you there. We will get you there. We'll do whatever. We'll underwrite the full cost. We have donors that will do that. And so I want to tell you, there's hope for you. Now, in January... Reed is going to start a small group for military servicemen, just a place to connect. Maybe you have suffered combat trauma. He will be there. He will walk that with you. He will work in getting you to one of the, the, the week-long fight clubs is what it's called, where you learn about biblical manhood. Reed is going to be teaching the blueprint of biblical manhood that he has gone through himself. And so we want to make that available to you. We have ministry for women who are going through the same thing. So we're here to help you. So I want you to know, this is your day. This, it turns. Today, you can mark it down. This is a turning point day. It won't be the same anymore because grace has happened in your life. Mercy has happened. Power has happened in your life. And now, now let's, let's keep the conversation going find the discipleship to support the work of Jesus in your life today and you walk in transformation so absolutely amazing there's a couple more things that we want to do before we go but would you give the rest of us honor of just celebrating your courage and this choice that you have made today and team members make sure you've connected and you have a name so that you can continue to support in prayer and we can support them so let's put our hands together for all of these people. God bless you.
Amen. You can all be seated. Please give us just a couple more minutes and then we will have a formal dismissal. Hey, if the stories you saw today, the video stories were helpful to you, they will be online. And I just want to thank this team that you see on the platform. They're our our creative team. And then part of our creative team, they're upstairs in this production room that helps us put all this together. But our team, they made those videos. They they listened to these stories, crafted those stories, crafted the place to go and capture the footage. And it is truly a ministry. Would you help me say thanks to the team that has helped build this day? It's really been profound and real and helpful. Today was about fighting for hope, and we're going to have these kinds of services going forward, and we'll announce them, and you'll know we'll do everything we can to present the reality of situations and how God comes with grace in that situation. So at this point, you being aware of what Reed and Amber will be doing in the new year, uh, there's a special presentation we want to make, and so my team members coming out and, and bringing these items, and it's a good time. This young man, along with others, helping us throughout this whole service, this is what we call a dream teamer, just a vital member of our church. He says, look, I want to serve in helping with things that go on with the platform. Let's say thanks to people like that who serve. It's awesome. And so Chad has a a very important presentation, and so Chad, I just want to turn it to you. Well, one of the most amazing things about the military is traditions and heritage and history and uh, one of those traditions is to award people uh, who have gone above and beyond their service and uh, done extraordinary things uh, the military's highest award for that is called the medal of honor which is typically putting your life in, in harm's way or, or in many cases giving your life for the uh, sake of others uh, so it, uh, being a military ministry we wanted to replicate that and we've done it in a military fashion we've created an award system uh, we have several awards we have five awards uh, and, and the highest being our, medal, uh, our legacy medal, which is like our medal of honor. Uh, the system, we don't, we don't just give these medals out. Uh, just like in the military, you have to earn them. And uh, it goes through a pretty prestigious process where we have an actual award panel who votes and, and, and awards these, these medals out. The uh, highest medal being the medal of, uh, the, our legacy medal is given just like the medal of honor, just like uh, someone that would be willing to give their life for the sake of others. Our legacy medal is for someone who is willing to, to take something uh, and, and actually something from their life and actually save someone else. So to get the legacy medal, you have to we have to be able to tangibly quantify that you save someone's life. And uh, we hold this so in high regard that we've only given out two previously. And uh, and it's meant we originally wrote it to give out to alumnus. So uh, Heather, who has been to our program uh, seven times now and shared our story. I've literally watched, and, and I'm not saying this is an exaggeration for this, but we've literally watched Heather save lives. The last, yes, give me a hand. This, this been, it's just so courageous to see her stand in front of these, beginning only five months from when her husband had taken his life, to stand in front of these warriors, 35 of them, uh, last class 37 of them and tell her story and tell her on the other side and she's talking about the things that these guys have, have struggled with and, and, and contemplated we have guys that have came to our program that had the pistol in their mouth a few days before they come and, uh, and the Marine Corps sent them to this sort of last uh, hope and we watch Heather speak to them and in tears they just continue to line up and talk to her after and they've, we've been told 
know she saved my life. And Reed and I were talking about this and ourselves and hearing guys say, my wife is not going to give that story to someone else because she, we heard her. And so the courage you've had, the bravery, and the sacrifice, you have literally have saved lives. And uh, Mighty Oaks um, has made you an honorary alumnus. And we wanted to award you the, our legacy medal. true military tradition, we have what's called a, a citation, which actually talks about the actions. And uh, in this citation, it reads, the legacy medal, Heather Kanjimi. Heather Kanjimi is an honorary alumnus, has demonstrated a warrior spirit through her courage and action in defeating overwhelming circumstances, leaving an impression upon the men and women of Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. Her unrelenting dedication to the lives of brokenhearted of this nation has directly resulted in the saving of lives of those who are on the verge of losing or taking their own lives. Heather has selflessly dedicated her life and resources, setting aside her own personal ambitions to the sustainment of the lives of others through her fortitude and compassion. She has held true to establishing a legacy that will carry on for generations by changing lives and leading them to an eternal relationship with Christ. Her dedication and selfless service towards the service members and veterans has directly impacted the lives of the of those men and women whom she has come to influence through her actions. Heather's dedication, selflessness, and highest standard of commitment reflect great credit upon herself, Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heather, thank you. Reed and Amber, thank you. Reed told me at the last time you were there, and you've been there, what, how many times now? Seven times that she's gone, and she tells that story. And Then they will go into small groups, and Reed has told me when he starts leading his small group after your talk, it's like the first time where he sees these guys begin to open up. So I could pull out my phone and show you one text message after another over this past year that Chad has sent me. And it would be right after you gave your talk at one of the camps. And he would say, Heather has just once again literally saved lives. And so thank you. And this says so much to all of us. Now, you all gave so generously last week. And one of the things that we do out of that kind of generosity is that we support this Mighty Oaks ministry because it's pure gospel that's being shared. And we will underwrite the cost of an entire week because of that generosity. And so we're excited to do that. If some of you feel compelled and you just want to specifically support this, there will be information on the screen. You can just go online and anything that comes in, every bit of it will go to the Mighty Oaks program because we want to support all of you in what you're doing for our veterans and for people that are in these deep dark places Peter thank you because you're so part of it. come on up on the stage you're so much a part of this story 
Lord Jesus, thank you for people who are finding you to be real, to be the source of everything they need. Thank you for faith that doesn't have to ignore the harsh realities of life, but faith that can keep us through those most difficult times. Thank you for the men and women in this room that have come around Heather and loved her and prayed for her. Thank you for the men and women in this church that serve in their ministry and serve in their home and serve where they work to just be light and love so that it can lift someone. I pray that we would just be ministers of hope to everyone we see. We know that you've accomplished incredible things today, specific things today, and it will be the turning point, and next year, when Chad and Kathy come, we'll add to this line of people. There are people that came to respond today that will be, it'll be their story that we will share one year from now, and we will talk about salvation. We will talk about the incredible life change that has occurred. So we live for this. May we as a church just know this is the vision of serving our neighbors and serving nations in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand one more time for our guests today. Come on, put your hands together for them. God bless you. You're dismissed.